Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. Thank you for joining me for episode 33 of Book of Leaves with Megan Best from Native Events. I hope you're well. If you are a regular listener, thank you so much for coming back. And if you are a new listener, hello, welcome. Lovely to meet your ears, I guess. Um, This podcast series, every episode I interview someone who's doing something good for the planet in some way. And we interview them, chat to them, get to know them, what they do learn from them and take a leaf from their book to add to our own way of eco-friendly living, which is where the name comes from. It's a book of leaves. And in this episode, we are, of course, looking at the events industry. Native events have been amazing pioneers in Ireland when it comes to bringing eco-friendly changes to the events industry. And they show that with their work year after year in body and soul. And I can only hopefully see amazing brighter things for them in future as well of course at the moment the events industry is like so many other things on hold for this foreseeable future and we'll chat a little bit about that but there is something in this episode whether you are a festival organizer or a festival goer or you're even planning a wedding or something you can take something from this it's not just for you know big business heads because I'm certainly not a business head I'm a festival goer Rather, I wish I was, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are feeling the same. So hopefully this chat about festivals and events can bring a little bit of, it'll probably bring a bit, little bit of longing for that festival atmosphere, but at least you, you won't, you'll know you're not alone in that longing. And hopefully there's some nice ideas and hopeful thoughts for the future as well that you'll get from this episode. Now, I'll leave it there. I'm going to introduce you now to Megan, who is the CEO of Native Events. And I'll catch you guys after for some show notes. Everything is linked that they mention in the description below. If you can't find them on your whatever podcast platform you're listening on, you can check out the website, bookofleespodcast.com. You'll see everything linked properly there and in more detail. And as well, if you can rate, review, share this episode, please, please, please share it with a friend. It really, really helps. You have no idea. And especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, to give it an old review. Thank you so much to everyone who already has. And I do have a Patreon account and a buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves if you would like to support this podcast because... I'm one of these people looking for work at the moment. So if you can support the hosting fees and website fees for the podcast in any kind of way, that would be greatly appreciated. And again, that's linked in the show notes. Now, here is Megan. I hope you guys enjoy and I will catch you after. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for sitting down to chat to me about the events industry today. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. To get straight into it, can you tell listeners a little bit about where where you're from, a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I suppose I've been working for the Body and Soul Festival for the last 10 years. The first year that they ran in Ballinlock, I was there. I worked as the volunteers coordinator and then I worked as the site manager for a few years. And for the last couple of years, I've been the operations manager, which is pretty much in charge of all of the nuts and bolts and the logistics and the not fun or glamorous things, but making the thing happen. And that festival has got, would have gone into its 11th year this year. 
the last three years or so, I've been working with my business partner on creating a sustainable event production company called Native Events. Uh, we're based in Delight Studios, which is just off Amiens Street. And the idea behind that is to start bringing sustainability into the creative and cultural sector in Ireland because it was kind of missing. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Oh, I'm, I suppose... I'm studying environmental sustainability as well with UCD. I'm nearly finished that actually. I'm doing my thesis at the moment. Um, that oh, has to be wow. at the end well of November. Done. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. It's a really fun process actually because I'm doing a lot of interviews, much like yourself, with people who are oh. like at the top of their game and in like incredible positions across um, kind of nature conservation and uh, people from the Environmental Protection Agency and everything across Ireland. So that's really good. And I founded a, a sustainable clothing brand, an upcycled clothing brand a couple of years ago. And that's created entirely from campsite waste from festivals. So kind of a number of different fingers in a number of different pies, I guess. Yeah, and they're all amazing, very much needed pies too. And were you always, was there a certain point, just because I'm, I'm so curious about this to with the people that I chat to, it's something different for everyone. Did you grow up always aware of the environment or was there something in your life a friend or something that you saw that you were like oh that this needs to change I think it, uh, there would have been an awareness of it in my house even when we were kids but the a defining moment for me I think was um when I learned about the Amazon being cut down in uh, geography class in secondary school. And I remember actually standing up in the middle of the class and demanding to know what was being done about it and shouting at the teacher as if it was his fault. Um, so it's been with me at least since my teens in a very much, um, I think that kind of bore a passion for, passion in it for me. And then I went on from secondary school and studied forestry and conservation in university for a couple of years went down to New Zealand, worked in the Forest Forest Owners Association down there. But then I came back to Ireland at the start of the recession. So epic timing um, when there was no work anywhere to do anything. And that's how I think I fell backwards into the events industry. And that's what I've been doing then for the last 12 years. So now it's all kind of wrapping back in and coming full circle with the story, I guess. Yeah, Amazing. Gosh, you've done so much. It's, it's oh, I feel like I need a separate episode for the life story, but we'll get, <laughs> we'll get to the event side of things first. So native events and the work that you do with a, an amazing festival like Body and Soul, you know, it's very earth conscious and obviously sustainable. But can you give us a little bit of insight into the events industry? Like what are the most polluting areas? What is it about the events industry that makes us really need some somebody like Native Events? Good question. Where I've spent the last 10 or 12 years running around in green, green fields, staying in caravans and um, making basically temporary villages happen. Glamorous as it sounds, it's actually not that really. But uh you can really witness the kind of waste that happens along with that because what you are doing is you're you're creating a temporary village so you have to bring in all of the resources all of the infrastructure there's a huge amount of transport that's involved when you think about dragging all this stuff into a green field uh, everything from fencing to roadways to stages to lighting to toilets to water and that's even before you start thinking about the artists and the audience travel that comes to the event so Yes, I think they're um, kind of exuberant and exciting and really important to have kind of festivals and events and that kind of coming together of people um, and experiencing something different. But there's definitely a need for doing things in a very different way. I was looking up some figures there recently enough, actually. Now, there hasn't really been a huge amount of in-depth studies done in Ireland 
we were trying to get a grant actually from the Sustainable Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, not last year, but the year before, to do a, a, an in-depth study on the impact of the events industry in terms of CO2 emissions. But there isn't a huge amount of information available in, for the Irish industry. But in the UK, obviously, who are our closest neighbours, I was looking at it, like they produce something like 26,000 tonnes of waste a year from the festivals. And oh. again, it was something like 25 or 26,000 tonnes of CO2. And that's from all of the generators and all of the power and all of the transport and everything else. So it's huge. It's a, it has a huge environmental impact, um, the festivals and events. So I think that's probably why we founded Native Events, because we felt compelled and inspired to try and do something about it. So what then solutions have you guys come up with for the various kind of parts? I know like you've got like waste at festivals, waste management, probably toilets, probably obviously generators and power and stuff like that. So what are your, the solutions that you guys have come up with? Well, we've been tremendously lucky with Body and Soul, for example, who are arguably the forerunners of sustainable events in Ireland, I would have said. Definitely. Um, yeah. For the last seven or eight years, we've had a sustainability team in there that's been headed up by Claire Byrne. She's a Green Party councillor um, in Dublin City Council. Um, we've been working really hard on kind of a number of different initiatives to try and reduce the environmental impact so, for example, with waste management, it's about working really closely with their contractors and suppliers and getting a really good understanding of the facilities that they have so that you have an understanding of what it is that they can process. Because a lot of a lot of the time when you go at a different kind of waste management, you think, oh, let's increase the amount of recycling that we do, which is obviously a great target and a great aim to have. But there aren't any recycling facilities in Ireland. So you're actually better off thinking about transitioning into compostable serveware, for example, which a lot of festivals and events are doing now. Um, because we do actually have composting uh, facilities here in Ireland. I've been to visit one. <laughs> it's a, quite a weird experience. Um, I'd love but, to see one. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. The steam rising up. And up. So to kind of move into that space where you have a really good understanding of the entire supply chain is how you tackle kind of waste and then once you understand that it's a communications campaign with your audience so that you design what people are bringing to the festival in the first place one of the other things that we were really successful with at body and soul was uh, reducing waste in the campsites we had a, a green campsite it's called the us and you campsite and basically everybody who stays there signs up to be really sound and look after the land and look after each other while they're there and i mean it went from 500 people to 6,000 over the course of five years and every year there's very minimal amount of campsite waste left behind and all of the waste is segregated properly within all of the bins because people get it, you know, when you when you do communicate about it. So that in terms of waste, it's really about like understanding it and trying different initiatives and um, just spending an awful lot more time considering it and doing it. Um, in terms of native events, what we've been doing is kind of taking those learnings and then working with other gigs, other festivals, other cultural entities to design waste management strategies and using those communication skills that we've built to try and do that um, in the wider cultural and creative industry, I suppose. And that's wider space. Yeah, not uh, just festivals, but like corporate events yeah. or theatre shows or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what we also did was a couple of years ago, we invested in um, some solar arrays and some. Uh, we've actually built a couple of batteries ourselves. So we've got the capability now to power like a small stage or an activation at an event. We did um, the little uh, activation at the Ploughing Championships last year, totally on solar power. And we've done a stage at Life Festival and at Body and Soul as well, actually, um, all powered by solar. And it's really about being able to demonstrate that these th things can be done so that we can yeah. start kind of bringing that conversation into 
more kind of regular conversations so that people can um, experience it firsthand and engage with it. And then that way, you, that's how you kind of start the transition, I suppose. And solar power is so much more quiet as well. I was literally talking to someone about this just today. They they were doing like an outdoor event and for 50 people or something and we're looking for a generator, but they have to find a quiet one. It's like, if you had solar panel, panels, that wouldn't <laughs> be an issue. You know what I mean? Like they're so noisy as well as all the fossil fuels and everything so yeah hopefully there'll be more investments and they'll, the prices will come down but it's amazing that you guys can already power up a stage i don't know why that just isn't the norm for everyone because it'll, <laughs> it'll save them money in future as well it's a good investment to make if you can make it yeah it is it, it's a little bit more difficult there's a, lo- a little bit more logistics involved in it but then i suppose if you think about it you don't have to put any um diesel into the into it all weekend long whereas the rest of the generators on site you have to kind of service them and make sure that they're topped up so there's kind of pros and cons and trade-offs on both you know um and is there any kind of areas i remember reading an article that you were interviewed about recently where you were saying that there's some areas that it's really hard to kind of find in ireland eco-friendly solutions like i think you mentioned said toilets was one of them there are festivals (laughs) in the world or on the planet that have compost toilets and volunteers whose job is to do those and we're kind of still looking at port and stuff aren't we so what's the story there yeah um you wouldn't believe how much of my career i've spent talking about toilets (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is not what i signed up for (laughs) i used to lecture in uh, outdoor event and festival management with fitzwilliam and i've remained friends with some of the girls that i taught in the course there and literally they've told me about how much time i I spent lecturing and going on about toilets because i've seen them go so wrong at so many events so many times so to answer your question yes uh, there are composting solutions out there for um, sanitation. There's a festival in Portugal called Boom. It runs every second year. And they manage to service 42,000 people with compost toilets with no problem, with no issues whatsoever. They've spent a lot of time and money developing that solution, but it is actually there now. Uh, there's a festival that I've worked with um, in the UK called Shambhala. They do all compost loose as well. Again, they're like a fifteen or 20,000 capacity festival. Again, no issues whatsoever. It's about developing a really good management system for it and implementing that. And in a lot of ways, the experience can be an awful lot more pleasant than using a port loo I mean, I'm sure you and your listeners have been to an event or in a festival and not been able to use the loos because they're yeah. full or overflowing or gross and they stink. And that generally doesn't happen with um, compost loos because they're better managed and they tend to have better capacity as well. As long as you've got a bit of sawdust, they're actually fine. That sounds so much more appealing. There is nothing worse than having to hold your breath for 90 seconds while you're in those. And there's no toilet paper left. Oh, there's just, I know I, and this is the thing and like dealing with the waste afterwards is actually like an environmental nightmare because it is chemicals that they've been treated with so they have to go back to a wastewater treatment plant and there's a huge amount of embodied energy that goes into that as well it makes no sense when you when you actually spend a little bit of time thinking about it, it makes no sense whatsoever but there isn't any facilities here in Ireland there isn't anybody that's doing temporary installation or hire of compost loos in Ireland at all so even if you okay. wanted to bring in this solution to one of your events or festivals at the moment you couldn't right so if anyone's listening who can do this or knows someone who can there is literally a hole in the the market for it all right yeah definitely yeah Janie Mac otherwise I don't know yeah because you can't really make shift unless it's just like a three-person camp in the woods you can't really just dig a hole (laughs) in the ground that won't really work 
oh geez I don't know about you but obviously you I'm really missing them I'm really missing festivals and live music so it's they are really important to have in our life for the culture but there is a way so if there's any millionaires as well listening investors hello this is where you (laughs) should send some money that'd be great um so to talk a little bit about attention attire that's the the clothes company that you and your business partner set up so I'm pretty sure people listening to this have seen images of festivals after when people go home and there's literally you can barely see the grass it's I don't first of all I don't know how people can afford to leave tents behind it's just terrifying there and literally a bulldozer will come in yeah. uh, at body and soul as I was mentioning we've done good work with it through the messaging and the campaigning but there are other festivals that haven't gotten there yet in terms of those kind of communications um and so there is quite a lot of stuff that's left behind also depends on how wet it's been and everything else um myself and my business partner in native events Michael Sorrow have been looking at designing a different kind of campsite management uh, system and service whereby we actually look very in detail at what's actually happening at the festival itself. Uh, We've been chatting to people about how they feel when they go to festivals, what the decision making is when they're um, at the point of purchase of buying that tent in the first place. I've gone out salvaging at the festivals over the years and found tents that came without a bag to pack back into, like literally single use tents that are being produced by the manufacturers (gasps) for people to go to festivals and just leave them behind. It's turned into, it's a cultural thing. Um, So like Attention Attire was uh, developed as an awareness raising campaign for that and more so than anything else. Like we'd never be able to process the amount of um, camping equipment that's left behind, not in a million years. We We make a very, very tiny dent in it, but it's more about trying to get people to engage with the fact that this is a material that has value, it has use, it could still be used as something else or reimagined into something else. And to kind of start thinking about that circular economy way of doing things. That was more of the vision behind it, as opposed to it trying to use it as a conduit for recycling all of this stuff. But I think what's actually happening in many cases is that people are going to the festivals and they're all piled in on top of each other. They're all really close to like the arena entrances, for example. And it, it, it becomes a very different space when they're all piled in on top of each other in that way, like the pathways very, very nearly disappear. You don't really feel like you're in a green field anymore. The connection to nature or that feeling, that sense that you have maybe when you arrive disappears over the course of the weekend because you're surrounded by lots and lots of rubbish and everything. There isn't, there's never anywhere near enough bins or signage to bins or any of this kind of thing. So it's actually very difficult to retain a sense of nature or space or anything within a campsite like that, that's set up that way. There's also the fact that, you're surrounded by loads of people who are a little bit worse for wear as the weekend goes on, let's say. (laughs) Not exactly sober, (laughs) maybe. Maybe not. Well, they're there to, you know, experience themselves, have a good time, let maybe let loose, whatever it might be. But they'll end up falling over onto your tent or there's um, certainly a lot of stealing that goes on as well. So if the security presence isn't right um, or if there's any kind of atmosphere or, or aggression or anything in these campsites, then there's no point in them investing in something in decent camping equipment if they know it's going to get wrecked in that space. So there's a huge amount of different things going on for people when they're deciding what they're going to do in a campsite and in a festival and why they end up making the decision to leave the stuff behind. I mean, like for years we were like, oh, they're just really hung over. But um, I think there's probably a little bit more in that. So that's what we've been exploring in terms of a different kind of way of designing festival campsites in the first place, because in order to facilitate behavior change, you have to understand what's causing the behavior in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that that does make sense. It's it's deeper than just, oh, I don't don't want to do it. 
now hmm. I'm like I just want to go get the bus back and go hmm. have a shower there probably there probably is like definitely more going on there as you said conditioning and whatever and th- that's crazy when you mentioned about the single use tent thing I have this camp bed that I got when I was maybe 12 or 13 or family used to like camping and it has like it's a piece of canvas that has four metal legs that you you put in and it's kind of raised off the ground by 12 inches or so I use it all the time if I have friends over like I'll put out this camp bed for them it folds up so small it's so handy I've brought a traveling with me and folded up the other day I know it's starting to tear a little bit and I was like oh, I'll probably do with a wash as well and I looked to see how you wash it and it said made in China single use only I was like what the hell so obviously they're covering their backs because like they don't want to you know if you're using this for too long they don't want anyone suing them if you like fall 12 inches to the ground and hurt yourself or something I and so now I got that in an Argos catalog you know my mom got it for me when I was like a very young teenagers but yeah I it blew my mind and then it shouldn't have because that's kind of the world that we live in of like this disposable stuff and pop out of a can tent and then you never yeah. think about it again. Yeah. You know, they're probably going to start making compostable tents sooner than their people are going to be like, sure, let's take them home. So yeah. education and all that is important. And yeah, the right sites and everything. More people are probably listening to this that would attend festivals and events rather than be the organizers and whatnot. So have you got any kind of advice for us? Like if we're going to a festival, what can we do to help? And also have we got any power in say, if we're going to a bigger festival who doesn't seem to have any awareness around uh, sustainability, what can we do to try change that? If anything, that's a good question. There's definitely a little piece about uh, researching what it is that you're doing. Um, and that goes across the board. That's not just about going to festivals. I mean, it's something that I've started doing is whenever I go to buy anything, I ha- do a little bit of digging around into the background of the company and see whether they have started with a sustainability policy of their own, um, whether it's something that they're looking at. You have to be aware, obviously, of greenwashing as well. But it's very, I think greenwashing is very transparent. You can see through it straight away. But it's about maybe taking a little bit more time in the decision making. Um, and again, it's that comes back to having that purchasing power. So if you wanted to go to um, a festival and you're like, oh, this is a really big festival and I don't necessarily see that they have a sustainability ethos, do have a little look around um, in the promotional or the organizers behind it and see whether it, it is something that they're just not advertising. Or if it isn't, if you can't see any kind of evidence of it, then ask the questions. If you Again, it's about um, reaching out the more people that kind of, empower themselves through educating themselves about this kind of thing and then start to apply the push then the more chance that we will have for more people to kind of take it on board and try and move in that direction it's it's massive now i mean most of the big corporations and the bigger kind of promoters have taken on some kind of sustainability charters or policies or strategies um, going forward pretty much because they have to and it has been driven by audience awareness i think very much so but uh it is, I think the, the first thing to do is to educate yourself as much as you can, raise it and then use that knowledge and that education to try and push for change in every area that you can. Stick your fingers into loads of pies. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> the best way to do it, I think. That's great. Yeah, that's good advice. Now, I know, of course, in these strange and uncertain times, the events industry is kind of on hold, unfortunately. So, I mean, 
I guess on a personal level and a business level, how are you guys feeling about that? And are there any possible solutions that you can see on the horizon? Yeah, it's a very uncertain time, all right. It's a, yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, in many ways, it gives a little bit of time to pause and take stock and reflect and to develop even more projects and more ideas, which is yeah, something that we do all the time. Um, but it does give us a little bit more time to actually develop them out because we would have been running around in fields for the last three months instead of actually sitting in the office going, okay, what are we going to do about this and how are we going to do this and so on. Um, and that's across the board with all of the different kind of events, professionals that I've been speaking to. I've chat on a number of kind of national and international working groups for events and festivals and everybody is kind of feeling that this is a time for developing new ideas and kind of getting to grips with what we can do better essentially so i think it's a although obviously it is it's a it's a really difficult one and i miss the open fields too i can i can feel your pain um it, it is a massive opportunity to kind of come back better to do things like push for having um better stakeholders or better suppliers in the country like we like this conversation that we're just having now so um ideally um some of your listeners or the conversation might happen around supporting people who want to bring sustainable solutions into this country um the new draft program for government where they mentioned that they are actually behind it's actually not even the draft program for government now they've adopted it so the program for government stated that they wanted to green the events in the cultural sector and the events industry in, in particular which is it's great like that's that's happening and it's out there and it's loud and people are having those conversations i don't know if that would be happening anywhere near as much if we weren't given this quiet time and this pause to reflect so in some ways it's good and as I said, I mean, I came back to Ireland at the start of the last recession in 2008 or 2009. Epic timing to come home from New Zealand. <laughs> and uh, the, w one of the first things I did was go and volunteer at Electric Picnic. And the creativity and the inventiveness that I witnessed that year um, and for oh, the next couple of years with the events and the festivals. And there was a kind of a huge energy for being innovative and being inventive because necessity breeds invention. And that kind of gets lost a little bit when the when the economy and when culture is in a different space. So I think when we come back now, and even we probably will be facing into another recession, I think there's there will be a hot hotbed of creativity again as well. So positivity, I suppose, yes. in some way. Yeah, the glass is half full. <laughs> we'll keep <laughs> yeah. staring at the silver lining. My last question to listeners is always, Per, like personally you are someone who obviously cares about the environment so what are your general tips for people who want to start being more eco-friendly and having less negative impact on the planet what do you do what would you suggest that other people do read i think um and like i was saying earlier on um educate yourself you know the more that you know and understand about what's going on the more you can make educated decisions and i do think I mean, obviously, we need collective action and we need action at a national level. For example, the recent court, court, court case, the climate case, Ireland court case, yeah. uh, Supreme Court, phenomenal news. But more people need to be aware of that and more yeah. people want to need to be buying into that and supporting those actions. And the only way that people will switch over to doing that is if they're having the conversations more regularly. So the more that you educate, read, understand for yourself and the more you're having those conversations with the people around you, the more chance that the transformative and the transition will happen in a wider sphere. 
So the individual is education and and conversations. And then that breeds the kind of collective action, I think. 100%. And you never know, I say this all the time, you never know the impact that your chats have on someone else. Like it was one person saying one thing to me that and they're not even vegan that turned me vegan in a way and then that led on to me then learning about veganism and then I was learning about the environment and now I'm here talking to you like it's yeah education I would totally agree there and it also makes it easier for you to stick by what you're doing you know sometimes if you're given an option of you know single use or oh I forgot me keep cup but I just wait till I get home because of you've educate you've educated yourself you're you're more likely to kind of stick to your guns it makes it easier yeah in a way doesn't yeah. it yeah so yeah and there's no reason like all of the information is out there i mean we're at, living in a, in a time now an unprecedented time in human history where we have access to all of this information it's there at your fingertips so it would be an awful shame not to use it this is very very true um all right actually last question if people are organizing an event what do you help just kind of festivals or what do you do for kind of smaller smaller scale events and things like that we work with anybody of any scale any like big or small um what we would do generally speaking is get a really good understanding of where the organization are at themselves and what it is that they want so it's kind of the the very first thing that you want to do is kind of do a workshop with the with the team so that you have a really good understanding of where everybody's understanding is at and what it is that they feel that they want to do what they can do what's achievable up and down the supply chain with them so even if it's like um a play for example in like one of the smaller theaters in dublin you'd go in and you'd work with the team there have a look at the building have a look at the access have a look at the messaging have a look at all of the different things that are involved in a production and what's different i suppose about an indoor venue is that there's a huge amount more opportunity to affect change in terms of the uh, waste management again, um, in terms of the power that's being used there, in terms of water levels that are being used there, because you can, you can, the more times that a production goes into a theater or an opera house or a conference center or whatever it is and says, oh, we want to look at this or what kind of power are you using? The more opportunity and the more likely it is that the venue themselves will go, okay, this is starting to be demanded by the people who are hiring our venue now. So that's what I mean. Like we can work with anybody and look at anything. We've developed up things. We've developed up um, a venue assessment sheet. So that actually really helps um, when you're going into an indoor space in terms of power, water, waste. We've even touched on biodiversity in it and access and all of these kind of things. Basically, what I'm trying to say is we can work at any level with any size or any kind of scale of uh, organization, event or whatever it might be. And where, what we will do with those people will really very much depend on what, what capacity understanding and what they want in, in order to kind of co-develop it. But there's no point in us coming in and prescribing to somebody because um, we need to kind of spend some time diagnosing first. Does that make sense? Definitely. So it's, it's, very, much, it's, it's, like it's very much a collaborative type of thing. I, I yeah, guess. that's good. It's adaptable. Like, And have you ever done a wedding or a big birthday party or something like that? Not yet. Not no. yet. No, okay. Not yet. <laughs> for, if anyone's listening, when they're going to have a big wedding bash next year or something to make up for lost time or whatever. Yeah, you never know. It's probably not off the cards. That's great. Thank you so much, Megan. We covered so much there. And I really, I really, really hope that 
the events industry comes back more sustainable, more eco-friendly. And I hope that people listening will go check out your website. You're on Native Events. You've got Native Events. Is it .ie? Native Events.ie, yeah. Perfect. And you're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. I'll link all of those in the show notes and hopefully I'll get to see you in person in an open field at some point, <laughs> at some point in the future. Oh my gosh. Um, but thank you so much for everything that you're doing. It's amazing, really. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really nice. There you go, guys. That was Megan. I hope you got something from that. And we covered a lot, I think. If you want to keep up to date with native events make sure you give them a follow on the L socials they're all linked below and as always please please share this episode with a friend recommend it by word of mouth or share to your insta stories or retweet or whatever you can keep up to date with my podcast the one you're listening to right now on uh, social media as well twitter instagram facebook whatnot and yeah i think this is a good time to let you go i can hear my housemaid is starting the hoovering so (laughs) there's probably no better time i hope you guys enjoyed and i'll catch you again in two weeks time in the meantime check out buckleyspodcast.com and yeah just stay safe wash your hands wear a mask and look after each other and hopefully we'll all be in a big field listening to music and dancing away very soon so mind yourselves guys thank you bye